welcome to the Album Nerds Podcast with your hosts, Andy, Todd, and Dude. Hello, everybody. It's Album Nerds Podcast time. I'm Dude. Got Andy and Don with me this morning. How are you gentlemen faring today? What's up, buddy? Hello, Dude. Glad to be here. <laughs> Dude. All right, so we are the Album Nerds. This is our podcast, three fellas that love talking about music, particularly the album format. You know, people love their playlists, and I love songs. Everyone loves songs, but sometimes those songs are paired with some other songs that maybe you haven't heard before. And when you listen to the whole album, you get that experience, what the artist meant. That's our thing. Andy, today we will be talking about some albums Tell us about how we do it. Here at the Elden Nerds Podcast, we believe in destiny. We do. Some records are just fated to be discussed on this podcast. Yeah. We're it's the been... children of destiny, really. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> Somewhere's been written down on some ancient tablets, uh, the records that we are going to pick today. And we put those tablets onto a gigantic wheel that's constructed in the dude's home studio. <laughs> he gets out once a week. <laughs> Wow, this is quite a lead up. This better be good. (laughs) He gives that giant wheel of musical destiny a spin. And we did that last week on the podcast. And it landed on a space entitled Our Parents' Record Cabinets. Yeah, so uh, this week we'll each be presenting an album that lived, uh, you know, somewhere in our parents' collection. You know, for some of us, the, you know, that was a, a tougher job than others. We'll each present one of those. Uh, we'll also have our our question of the week, and then uh, at the end we'll we'll spin that wheel of musical destiny again. Let's proceed. You choo choo choose me. All right, so I'm first up today. We'll be discussing a record from Aretha Franklin entitled Aretha Now. This came out back in June of 1968. We are going to play the second cut. This is a little taste of I Say a Little Prayer. All right, so let's taste of Say a Little Prayer, probably uh, familiar. It was a very popular song back in the late 60s, and it's still pretty popular tonight. This was coming out of my mom's record collection, who was, I believe, a teenager in the late 60s. She didn't own this particular record, but she did buy, she told me, quite a few uh, singles from Woolworths for, <laughs> she said she got three for a dollar from Woolworths. Wow. Those are 45s, yeah. I assume, right? Yep. Yeah. So she said she loved that song in particular and respect were like the two big ones. So those come from this kind of this, kind of the second period in Aretha's career. This was her 13th studio album, believe it or not. Um, so she'd been putting out music for quite a while before she'd kind of broken through to commercial success. And that really happened in 1966. After signing with Atlantic Records, she released that Respect single, which was pretty huge at the time. That was on a record entitled I Never Loved a Man the Way I Love You, which came out in 67. Uh, and this record was a follow-up the following year. Both records are just packed with recognizable singles. I think I picked this one in particular because it has more of like that pop uh, sensibility that I think would probably appeal to a teenage girl at the time. I can imagine uh, my mom and her friends belting out these songs in their 
parents' basement or whatever they wherever they hung out. Rec room. Yeah. <laughs> the rec room on the Davenport. Yeah. I think uh this one's a that's a Burt Bacharach, I believe, right? Yep. I think the version I'm most familiar with was the the Dion Warwick. I definitely prefer this this version. I I prefer the Dion Warwick one, but I think it's just because it's the only one I've ever heard. To me, this is the original. Yeah. Yeah. And then there'd be five versions of the same song by five different artists on the chart at the same time and it's very yeah, confusing. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was surprised the Dion Warwick song came out like the year before this record came out. Like you cover a song that came out that recently. Um, but yeah, you're right. Most of these songs are covers or written by other artists. Uh, I think the one exception is the opening cut, Think, which is a fairly well-known single as well, which I believe at least Aretha wrote at least par- partially. Um, she was actually a pretty skilled uh, pianist slash keyboardist, and that was actually a big part of her early career was was playing uh, that instrument along with singing. Um, the change that kind of happened that made it more popular was kind of giving up some of her gospel roots and that traditional sound and bringing over um, kind of more of this modern pop R&B sound. Why don't we play a cut from one of her, probably her most popular single in that earlier part of her career off of a record called Electrifying Aretha Franklin. This is a little taste of Rockabye, Your Baby with a Dixie Melody. Your baby with a Dixie melody when you chrome, chrome So that was more the early sound, like before switching to a more mainstream type of sound, is that right? Yeah, like she was on Columbia Records back then. It was more of a traditional jazz and gospel sound. And they kind of introduced the the bigger band and the vocal sing you know, the backup singers and all that, that kind of more pop sensibility later in the sixties there. What's your guys' kind of history with Aretha? I've known about her for forever. She's always been there. I, you know, not until, you know, I, I think I got to adulthood did I really start appreciating, you know, what she had to offer and, and start going into her catalog. Yeah, I, I recognize her greatness. And, and when I think of, of, of soul, uh, you know, I think she's kind of the, the face of that for me. Uh, and just the, the whole sound of this, this record, um, not just her voice, but the, the production as well. That's an iconic sound. Yeah. I mean, obviously she existed, she's existed my whole life and the queen of soul kind of a thing. And her influence has been more a part of my awareness than her actual music. I mean, respect and, and, uh, thank for songs I've heard many times and, so, although the songs are powerful, I think the uh, the context, the time, the uh, civil rights movement, the women's liberation movement, Aretha became a strong black woman figurehead. So, I think she she has a, a more important role outside of music in terms of her cultural significance as opposed to necessarily the records. I mean, there's a handful of songs of hers that I like. Her whole records are not something I would jump into probably uh the only song i ever heard in real life was pink cadillac in the 80s that's the last hit i remember of that's actually i i was just thinking about that now I, I think my first exposure to aretha franklin probably was uh in the 80s on mtv and so like pink cadillac and i believe she did a couple of duets there too didn't did she do one with george michael was that i think she, so. I she did have like a resurgence kind of in the mid 80s there was that her, the New You Were Waiting? Was that her? Yes. Yeah, George Michael. Good call. Wow. She looks so different in the 80s. 
<laughs> what did what did the eighties do to people? <laughs> Good things. Yeah, lots lots of neon and uh, hairspray. And she she had a cameo in the Blues Brothers. I think doesn't does she perform Think in that? I, that sounds right. Yes, that's right. So, like I said, cultural significance, like yeah. more of a icon than uh, icon. Yeah, well, you know, I think um, I think that connection was probably particular to to young women at the time. I feel like it was probably very strong. And my mom immediately when I asked her, this was like her immediate response was uh, fond memories of listening to Aretha back in the late sixties. Um, why don't we play another cut here? This is probably. One of the more like smooth, more R&B type sounds here. I believe uh, you send me we're going to play is a cut from Sam Cooke, I want to say. Let's play a little clip of that now. That's interesting because Sam Cooke, like his is the definitive version of that song. But this definitely sounds... Like his is very smooth and romantic, but this is more. I don't want to say erotic because it's not. It's not taking it that far, but there's something euphoric about this particular delivery that I think women could connect to much more. That the the way that uh, romance feels to them, and it it sounds different. Definitely more so than I say a little prayer. I mean, it, it's not dramatically different from the Dionne Warwick version, but this one is, um, yeah, a, a big departure. I thought that was a really great cover. I I can connect to that even as a guy. I feel like that. I feel a lot of excitement and emotion. This whole record really feels very bubbly and excitable. One thing I'd mention to you about this record and particularly this time for Aretha, she was very, very successful, um, especially for black women. In America, she was one of the best-selling artists of the time, estimated over 75 million total record sales. In this 10-month span between the early 67 and late 68 when this record came out, she had 10 top 10 singles in that period, which was kind of blew me away when I heard that. I think three of them are on this record here. So if you're new to Aretha Franklin, it's a good place to start. The three words I use to describe this record would be sunshine, just for the kind of uplifting vibe, uh, successful because of all those record sales and singles here, and soulful. Even though it's not a gospel record in a traditional sense, I think she still does will bring a lot of that power and just, you know, soulful energy to this is still still here, very strong force. So yeah, once again, the record is Aretha Now, Aretha Franklin, definitely worth checking out. Excuse me. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Well, well, well. Just so happens I'd like to answer a few questions. Well, one question that we asked ourselves. What is an album you had that your parents hated or maybe still do? Well, for me, it's a pretty easy one. This is the only record I was ever really turn, told to turn off <laughs> without <laughs> any sort of conversation around. Uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the Red Hot Chili Peppers record, One Hot Minute. It came out in the mid-90s, I want to say. Mm-hmm. Yep, that was the one where they lost uh, their guitarist, John Fushante, had quit, so they got Dave Navarro. Right. Yep, good memory. Uh, if you remember, in the middle of the record, there's a song called P, which I think is just like a spoken word passage. <laughs> Mostly spoken word. Uh, it just has a lot of, of F-bombs and other swearing in it. And I 
made the mistake of playing it too loudly. <laughs> <laughs> it's just a bass flea, boom, 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 and it's just about uh, people's prejudice and stuff, and then he's telling people to F off, and so effing what, and, but it's in this kind of voice. It's like, it's, it is off-putting. <laughs> it's a million song. I never particularly liked it. It was kind of a bad song to put a stand-up on, but I did for whatever reason, and then I haven't heard that record since now, but... <laughs> What about you, Don? Well, my uh, my dad hated The Cure. <laughs> Your dad hated like your favorite band? Oh, man. <laughs> yeah. That's well, right. I mean, but the guy, you know, look at you. You don't, at that point, you probably are hoping your son isn't going to get the hair and the lipstick. You know what I mean? Yeah. This the His first experience with The with the Cure was the song called The Caterpillar, um, which is... I was probably listening to the staring at the sea, the singles, but the caterpillar, first of all, like the song begins with, there's just like bad violin, you know, like deliberately bad. And then Robert is just singing like a maniac, you know, he's deliberately off key. And my dad has no tolerance for for that. And uh, yeah, it, it, I immediately turned it off. <laughs> probably wise decision. It happened a few times for me, but I guess the most definitive was probably Pearl Jam versus... Jeez, oh, these are like important records for you guys. I'm s- wow, well, emotional yeah. scarring going on. Well, here. like I, I was, uh, I, I was early twenties and I was in college, and uh, I had started. I always liked a lot of everything, and kind of kept it clean cut and whatever. But then I really got into the whole grunge thing, and so I'm growing my hair out. I'm getting these records of this stuff, and I think Animal was playing in my mm-hmm. room, mm-hmm. and. Uh, my dad was just like, what is this noise? You know, that whole, you know, what are you going to do with your life yes. kind of a thing? <laughs> like, what do you do? You're going the wrong direction kind of a thing, you know. But, you know, these things come and go. I mean, my dad does not hold uh, hard feelings for Pearl Jam. But th- those moments come when you just, like, the, yeah. they're worried. They're worried that you're changing Right. And maybe it won't help you in your future life. So I think we've all had that experience. <laughs> but um, I think it's important to to think about sometimes their reasons. You know, at the mm. time it seemed so like, oh, screw you, man. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> no, that's probably a good call. <laughs> yeah. Our parents, parents. Yeah, they were just trying to help. So how about you, everyone out there, listeners, hit us up on the socials and at Discord. Tell us what album or albums your parents maybe didn't care for so much when you were a kid. Okay, so I think that music gives it away. Uh, from from my <laughs> from my parents' uh, record cabinet, uh, I pulled out uh, Elvis Presley's uh, "How Great Thou Art." Right, so it's Elvis Aaron Presley, born uh, January eighth, nineteen thirty five, in Tupelo, Mississippi, uh, and of course he he left us uh, on August sixteenth, nineteen seventy seven. No, my my parents were were musical people. You know, I, I think they had you know pretty good pretty good ears for it. Um, but unfortunately, their their record cabinet did not reflect that. I, I guess maybe you know we were more of like a radio household. You know, so my parents listened to the radio a lot, but you know we didn't listen to their you know records much. Uh, and then you know at some point, you know my older sister kind of took over the you know the music selection in the house, and and then it was me. 
so it, you know, it was a bit of a challenge, you know, uh, finding something. Um, but yeah, so I, I went with Elvis Presley's How Great Thou Art, uh, which is his, uh, second, you know, full length gospel album. My father was not, uh, you know, a huge Elvis Presley fan. Um, but he, he did, you know, uh, uh, you know, swear by, uh, Elvis's vocal talents, right? So he, he said, you know, he's more than, you know, just this guy that's, that's shaking his hips or, you know, doing kung fu moves, uh, in a jumpsuit. Uh, he's, he's more than, you know, the, uh, you know, the, the, the goofy stuff. You know, he said, you know, he's really, you know, he's really got an amazing voice. Uh, and that, you know, really comes through, uh, on his gospel records. Yeah. Well, why don't we, why don't we hear a, a clip of the, the title track, uh, how great Thou art. I'm no man. I mean, he makes he makes gospel songs a little sexy, and I'm not sure how I feel about that. <laughs> I mean, it's a little sensual. Bringing the sexy back to gospel, huh? <laughs> It definitely is. And that's kind of where, you know, we're getting back to Aretha Franklin, you know, that's kind of where soul is. And I think, um, you know, for some, it, it seemed kind of blasphemous because it was sort of taking that gospel sound and maybe making it almost like orgasmic or, or something. Wow, I think that's, a, I think that's a, okay, everyone. That's the first time here on the Album Nerds podcast that orgasmic has come into play. This is not the time I thought it would have come up. <laughs> But for a fun exercise, imagine Elvis singing all those songs on that Aretha Franklin record. Uh, I think he could actually pull it off. Um, I mean, it would obviously be, be different. And actually, I, I would, I think I would prefer that the production was more like the Aretha album, uh, than this one, but we'll, we'll get back to that. Uh, for my three words, uh, I said, king of gospel question mark. And the, the answer is no. I mean, he's not the king of gospel, but, but I, I think he does a, a good job with it. <laughs> Well, he's the the king. I mean, I guess that applies universally. So, I'd I'd read yes. a little bit this this period in his career. Uh, this was 1967. The he'd been just doing movies and soundtracks to the movies. Albums that were just actual albums were were few, and uh, Colonel. Parker Sanders, <laughs> his manager <laughs> saw this, this chance to, to hit this, this niche, you know, uh, cause there's a, a certain group of people that like gospel albums. And, and my grandparents were similar. They didn't like Elvis, you know, the hate, the hip shaking dude. But if it was the gospel songs, well, his mother taught him, right. You know, that kind of <laughs> thing. Right. Yeah, you're you're right about that, and I mean, I that that period of of time for for Elvis with those awful movies uh, and awful soundtracks. I mean, it was just a, a dark time in his career, and I think you know when when Elvis got the chance to to do gospel, you know, he was no longer phoning it in. You know, I, I think it you know he, uh, it was uh, you know like a passion project for him, and I think just like Johnny Cash, who who did a lot of gospel records as well. You know, that's that's where they grew up, and I, I think they really enjoyed you know singing these these traditional songs and, and making them their their own 
That's a good comparison because they they are very similar, Johnny Cash and Elvis Presley. It's just the mostly the presentation. I mean, even the music isn't that far off. Ring of Fire and Hound Dog really are in the very similar space, but it was the gyrations and, and maybe the handsomeness that uh, <laughs> made a difference of how he was presented. But they're very similar. Why don't we do a why don't we do a run on? Fans of Johnny Cash might recognize this tune. Yeah, there's a there's a little bit of soul in, in that one. Uh, but of course uh, Johnny Cash had a hit with that song uh, posthumously. Uh, I think it was on American Five. Uh, his his versions, you know, very uh, very different. But, uh, you know, of course, the, they both, uh, both Johnny Cash and Elvis, you know, came out of that, that Sun Records scene. Um, and I, I think, you know, for the, for album nerds or, or rock snobs, uh, you know, I think the one Elvis record you're supposed to have in your collection is, is some version of that, those, you know, Sun recordings. Uh, but I would argue that the, you know, the gospel records, there's, there's three of them, you know, should be there as well. Uh, other thoughts? Um, yeah, I don't know. <sighs> I struggled a little bit with this one, to be honest with you. Um, I feel like the beginning, like the, especially the first track you played there and the first handful of cuts were so just drenched in his voice and this sort of very like languid sort of calm pace that I wasn't expecting from a gospel record. I always think of gospel as being more high energy and uh, exciting and uplifting, which I do get to later on the record. Um, I definitely enjoyed those tracks the most. The backup singers and the hand claps or the snapping or whatever was going on, adding some rhythm to it, some life going on these on that record. Um, so I guess I was surprised to hear that much of a range, I guess, and different approaches to what I thought was more of a just discrete sound of gospel. I, I think it kind of covered two worlds of gospel. So there's gospel music, which is the more soulful. Then there's the more the 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 somber stuff which is kind of what my like my grandparents were more into the somber church music gospel music that was very prayerful as opposed to celebratory and so i think there's there's both on here i think it's you know to cover all the bases you know right yeah so um you know for me you know, I kind of have a, a love-hate relationship with, with Elvis. You know, I, I think he's so talented and he has, you know, some amazing moments in his career, but so much of it is bad. You know, I think a lot, you know, Colonel Tom Parker is probably to, to blame for a lot of that. Um, you know, I feel like there's a lot of unrealized potential. I, you know, I kind of fantasize about, you know, maybe, you know, the, the crew down in Muscle Shoals or something getting a hold of Elvis and having him do, uh, you know, some real like Southern rock type tracks or, or maybe if he hooked up with, you know, Aretha Franklin's producers or something, you know, maybe we would just get, you know, more of that, more of that talent. Or, or what if he had been more in direct competition with the Beatles and the Beach Boys and the band as music was changing, him getting a chance to shift with it. Instead, his sound stayed very similar. Yeah, kind of stuck. Yeah. And yeah. again, I think it was management and those the the creative part of it i think uh he recaptured toward the end of his career some of those albums were much more interesting than a lot of the things in the middle and don i have a very similar feeling where 
I can't think of a definitive Elvis record that I want to listen to. So when I do listen to Elvis, I'm not a greatest hits guy usually, but that's what I end up doing most of the time because I can't find an album that reflects everything I'm looking for. So uh, you know, if you if you are looking for a, a place to to start with Elvis and to you know maybe experience uh, his his vocal talents, um, you know, I think uh, any of the gospel records, but I think particularly this one is is, uh, is a place to place to start. Uh, so that was How Great Thou Art by Elvis Presley. And now a message from our sponsor, us. This is friendship. Pure, unadulterated friendship. Hey there, music fans. Have we got a place for you to hang out? Go to the Album Nerds Discord, albumnerds.com slash Discord, and you can talk with like-minded music nerds. Ooh, just call 1-900-MUSIC-NERDS. <laughs> <laughs> Get matched up with a music nerd who appreciates your taste in music. That's uh, not a dating service or whatever that might be. <laughs> just a place to hang out. It's a community uh, server, just a message board essentially we share um recommendations you can suggest topics for upcoming shows talk with some like-minded musical nerds uh, yeah once again it's albumnerds.com slash discord check it out i think you'll be pleasantly surprised okay so it's my turn um the album i've chosen for this week coming from my parents record cabinet is 10 years after the album is called Shh, came out in June of 1969. It's uh, British blues rock. And uh, why don't we jump into it and get a taste of Stone Woman. All right, so that was a little bit of 10 years after with Stoned Woman from the album Shh. The three words I chose to describe this, just to kind of sum it up for everyone, badass, British, blues rock. Very simple. What did you fellas think about this? What, uh, 10 years after new to you? Uh, yeah, it was new to me, but boy, I was, I love this shit, man. This was great. Two thumbs up for Mandy, man. <laughs> nice. Uh, I definitely, I knew the name. And I, I know I, I've probably heard a song or two, you know, on classic rock radio or something, but no, it, it's not a band I had uh, uh, experienced before. Yeah, I, I was impressed as well. Um, in fact, you know, with the, when the first song came on, actually, I, I thought I was listening to the Black Keys for <laughs> for a minute. Uh, especially, it has like the same vocal effect that, that they use a, a lot. Um, but yeah, yeah, this is this is good stuff. Yeah, crazy guitar work. It's very, it's such a blues record, and it does have blues rock songs, but a lot of them are just straight up blues. So I guess I should talk about the parental connection here. So um, I asked my dad, for, first of all, I said, hey, dad, I remember some of the records from your collection. Is it cool if uh, you run down some of the ones you think are really, that I might want to talk about? And he sent me a spreadsheet instead of 125 vinyl, 100 and something CDs and the cassette tabs, Jeez. all with their genres <laughs> and what year he got them and why he got them. Wow. Talk about an album nerd, man. <laughs> wow. It's like an OG <laughs> album nerd, huh? It's genetic. <laughs> <laughs> I guess so. I guess so. And maybe my love of bluesy rock comes from this. I don't remember specifically this album being in the collection because I used to leave through them. I would stare at certain ones like Access Bold as Love by Jimi Hendrix. I used to stare at that album cover all the time. It's so weird. 
I when I was looking at his list, I'm like, 10 years after. That name, that's familiar. I bet this is awesome. I just bet it's awesome. So I put it on and immediately it was awesome. So I must have some, it must be built in somewhere. It's in your DNA, man. So he was working at a radio station in 1969 where they had a progressive rock show from 9 p.m. to sign off. Yeah, sign off. Radio stations and TV stations used to end. <laughs> was that 24 they, hours? What? Nah, at night, they would end. And they play like, you know, uh, the national anthem, national anthem and, yeah. and feed ended and you come back in the morning when it was on again. Uh, but he, he was exposed to, to bands like 10 years after Edgar Winter, Paul Butterfield blues band, blind faith, which was on my list. And then, uh, this band also, they performed at Woodstock. And when the Woodstock movie came out in theaters in 1970, they kind of got hot. Because the crazy guitar work of, of Alvin Lee, the guitarist. Why don't we listen to a little bit of Good Morning Little Schoolgirl and check out some of the guitar work and the bass. The bass playing is amazing. Eat your heart out, Eric Clapton. Yeah, I'm glad you, you brought that up because... Um, you know, listening to this album, the you know one of the the first comparisons I made was was to Cream, but where they're different, I think, is is in those guitar solos. This it's just you know kind of nonstop. It's a real assault on the ears. Uh, whereas I, I think Clapton would you know occasionally get a, a bit more melodic, you know, with his uh, with, with his guitar work, kind of you know some smoother moments. Um, so this you know this is different. Yeah, so it's kind of in your face. I would. I would- Say kind of like a full frontal assault b- blues jam, <laughs> especially that song in particular. Seven minutes in the middle of the record, and the last like four minutes are just like a pretty much a blues jam. Uh, I thought it was great. I mean, the subject matter maybe a little uncomfortable, but uh, the music itself, is, especially the guitar play, is just phenomenal. I thought that song was written in 1937, and it's been played. It's a blues standard that's been played a million times by a million bands, and I've heard a million different versions of it. And, you know, they could have chosen anything and had the same awesome jams and stuff. I get, as far as I could tell, this was the only blues cover they did on the album. From what I could find, these were all their songs, which I also find fascinating because some of them just sound like old school blues songs, like uh, Two Time Mama. There's just some great songs on here. Um, the Stomp is where I hear ZZ Top probably got some inspiration. Uh, but, but one of the, the, the interesting things about this and tying back to families and their influence on your musical taste, the lead guy here, Alvin Lee, he grew up in the blues in Britain. But uh, the family history is Alvin Lee's dad was really into blues. He had gone to see um, Big Bill Brunzi play at a club and brought Big Bill back home. And then that guy played guitar and sang songs for the family. And that's when Alvin Lee decided he was a blues man. And he sounds like one. Yeah, he's got a really interesting vocal. It's very, some tracks, like some of the more traditional songs, the shorter, uh, more conventional songs, I think are when he does like more clean singing. It's not, he doesn't have a great singing voice. Um, fit it like this distorted version to the mix. I think it's, it's pretty cool. Well, speaking of the delivery, let's listen to a little bit of bad scene. Get a, a sense of a different side. Like 
That's the part that made me think of the Black Keys. Mm-hmm. No, I can totally hear now you say that. Bad scene. That's the, the first track. It starts off with that meow. It sounds like a cat meowing or something guitar. And I thought it was a dolphin or something. Yeah. <laughs> Some weird effects, man. It's like- totally. But it drew me in because I was like, okay. It's like, I'm like, okay, we're okay so far. But then it like changes patterns and and styles three or four times and drew me in one thing we didn't mention i I feel like there's a pretty strong psychedelic aspect to this record as well especially in some of those weirder sounds that get get thrown in there that maybe aren't conventional blues rock by any means um i heard a lot of like hendrix from like this time period as well just like that that big fuzzy guitar and definitely feel the 60s reverberating from his music there, there was another band around at that time that I, I think was British as well, but they, they weren't as good as these guys was uh, Vanilla Fudge. Um, and they used to do kind of psychedelic covers of, like, I think they did You Keep Me Hanging On and, and stuff like that. Um, but it, it reminded me uh, of them uh, a little bit. But, but these guys are, are better, I think. Yeah, definitely psychedelic sounds in these songs and, and a lot of songs and albums and artists from from 1969 but yeah they're just really solid the performances are great the energy is great throughout the whole album has that 60s feel but it also feels timeless i think because of the way that they handle themselves uh with the blues particularly uh the guitar and the rhythm section so that was 10 years after the album is sh- from June of 1969. If you like blues rock, you gotta check this thing out, man. So what did we learn here today, boys? I think our, you know, music is so tied to, like, at least for me, tied to memories and, and time periods and whatever was happening in your life at that time you heard that song or whenever and it meant something to you. So it, it's a little hard to go back because you weren't really there when these things were happening, when they were part of, like, the zeitgeist of our society. Um, so I think there's always that kind of removal or that distance there. It's going to be there, but for so much of this music, especially like the music that, that three of us appreciate, you can hear is, is tied into a lot of these more classic records. Uh, I think that's why I love to go back and digging through these because you can hear so much of modern day music is, is caught up in, in these sounds. Yeah, that was more the experience for me uh, as well. So uh, going back to Elvis and his voice, you know, and, and uh, my dad talking about that. Uh, I mean, you may notice I, I, most of the records we've talked about, I, I feel like I'm always talking about the the vocals. You know, that's something that, that um, you know, is prominent for me. Uh, I think the 10 years after is is such a dude album you know that's <laughs> <laughs> true and, and then with andy you know i aretha franklin i i i think she's in a, a lot of your taste as well I, I think maybe you're a bit more soulful than than dude and i yes and more sensitive <laughs> yeah, that's uh, probably true <laughs> yeah dad of dude definitely um influenced my the stuff that I like now, not so much when I was a kid, I was too much, too busy as a teenager rejecting everything that they, that they might <laughs> approve of. But right. I thought a lot about, as I listened to these older albums and thought about childhood, I started thinking about my age and how, when my parents were exposing me to this music that I've now experienced those points in my life. And I had my own music that was a, a huge part of that. And just kind of uh, considering this different way of thinking about myself that in, th- in listening to these albums, I felt like a 
child looking up and, and, and trying to understand my parents' music when, in fact, uh, I'm not a child and I've got my own thing. So, uh, kind of having this fuse into my own taste and enjoying it so much was a lot of fun. And that's one to grow on. All right, boys and girls, it's about that time to put our fate into the hands of the wheel of musical destiny. Get that old wheel out and give it a spin. I'm your density. I mean, your destiny. Your grandparents' oh. collection. Oh, 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 oh. <laughs> this is even better. New Jack Swing. Oh, God. No. <laughs> <laughs> Well, what does that mean? New Jack Swing is a swing beat or fusion genre of hip-hop and dance pop from the 90s. Uh, you might say like Boys to Men and things like that may fit into that, oh, okay. that category. The East Coast family. That's right. Mid-80s to mid-90s. You might throw artists like Belle Biv DeVoe into that category. Okay. Uh, what's in your parents' record cabinet? Do they have any new Jack Swing? <laughs> what else? <laughs> they have old Jack Swing. They have got the swing. <laughs> uh, what else are you listening to? Uh, let us know. Join fellow album nerds on Discord at albumnerds.com slash Discord. You can email us at podcasts at albumnerds.com or leave a voicemail at 585-210-2454. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Album Nerds. And if you'd like to support the show, do so via PayPal at albumnerds.com slash support or leave a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. All right, so come back next week so we can figure out what the hell is New Jack Swing and find some really cool albums from that period of time subgenre and we'll catch you next time thanks for listening thanks for listening everybody see ya hasta la vista baby <laughs> what arnold all right <laughs>